Welcome to Support for Survivors, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse. Each person's journey is unique. Our goal is to connect survivors to resources along the way on their path to healing. Our host, Shaughnessy Terrell, is a member of Cohen and Malad's sexual abuse litigation team and a former deputy prosecuting attorney who has tried hundreds of cases against sexual predators. We are here to help survivors get access to justice. Join us on this journey. Here is Support for Survivors. Hi there. We're coming to you today with a story from a very special woman, Ayanda Nagema. Ayanda Zoomed with us from Johannesburg, South Africa. Unfortunately, due to the distance and some technical and environmental hiccups, the sound quality is not great. However, the content of the show is so great that we couldn't just not bring it to you. So producer Jamie put on her editing cap and went to work. While the quality isn't what we wished it could be, Jamie did a great job getting it ready for you. So with that, please listen in for a special story from Ayanda. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Shaughnessy Terrell. Welcome to Support for Survivors. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Ayanda Nagema to our show. Ayanda is the content creator and manager at The Girl That Brands, the founder of Thriver, Healing from Within, a trauma-informed yoga initiative that aims to help sexual abuse and rape victims and survivors to incorporate the practice of yoga into their healing process. Recognized as a prominent voice advocating for sexual abuse and rape amongst women and children, Ayanda is also an acclaimed motivational speaker and the author of two books, They Raped Me, Now What?, and Life After Rape. Welcome, Ayanda. We are so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Sean Estet. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from? and your? I know you live in Johannesburg now, is that right? Correct. Okay, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Okay, um, my name is Ayadan Gemma, as you have mentioned. I am originally from South Africa. I grew up in KwaZulu-Natal, which is a coastal South African province best known for its beaches, mountains, and also safaris. However, I I spent most of my adult life in Johannesburg, which is South Africa's biggest city. I was born in 95. My mom was 15 years old when she gave birth to me. And I stayed with many different people, relatives, and some of her friends as well because she couldn't take care of me as she was a teen single mom Mm -hmm. and then in 2006 when I was 11 years old that was when my grandfather permanently took me in and stayed with me until I finished school in 2014. And your grandfather is famous isn't he? Yes, he is. He is famous. He, his name is Mungeni Gema. He is an internationally renowned multi-award winning writer for Sarafina. And he's an artist as well. Singer, choreographer, theater. He does many, many things. Very talented, <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Okay, so you were taken in by your grandfather and living with him. Is that when the first trauma you experienced was during that time or was it later? Yes, it was during that time. Um, my grandfather was a very busy man. 
he was always out at home, always traveling. And I found myself being taken care of many people, family relatives that would come sometimes for a day to a week and go. Whoever was free would come through and, you know, look after me. If there was nobody available, um, our housemate would take care of me. And that was when the first incident happened. I was four years old when the first incident happened. It was by our housemate's son who used to come some weekends after school wearing his school uniform. And on this particular day, he asked me to come to their room. We, there was a main house at home and then we had a back room where our housemate was staying. And he asked me to come with him. No problem. I mean, he was not a threat. It was somebody that I knew, right? And I went inside the room with him and he sat beside me and asked me to sit on the bed. And then he started taking off my underwear. That was when I started feeling uncomfortable, though I didn't know what was about to happen. But having somebody else, a stranger, take off my underwear, it was really uncomfortable. And Immediately, I asked him if I could go back inside the house because I was not feeling comfortable at all. How old and was he, your housekeeper's son? How old was he? I'm not sure, hey. I'm not sure. But what I know is he was in high school at the time. Okay. That's so he was, yes. he was a teenager. He was, you know, quite a bit older than you. Yes, he was. He was a teenager at the time. So he asked me to... Oh, he told me I'm like, that okay, I'm not feeling comfortable with what, what you're doing right now. Can I please go back inside the house so that I can play inside the house? He assured me that no, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. What I'm gonna do now to you, it's just gonna be quick and then you can go back inside. And that is when he decided to take advantage of my innocence. And after he was done. He told me that I shouldn't tell anyone because I was going to get into trouble. Mm -hmm. I believe, I believe this. My grandfather was a very strict man. He still is. He's a very strict man. And I was afraid that, oh no, if I do tell them what just happened, and he made it seem like it was my fault. So I was afraid that, wow. I just did something, you know, so terrible and I'm afraid to tell anyone because I'm going to get into trouble. And that was how the first incident happened and everything changed after that. So what do you mean when you say everything changed after that? It became different. I was afraid. I started locking myself in, the, in my bedroom. I stopped eating. I stopped playing outside because I was afraid that what if it comes again and does this thing to me again so basically I just closed myself in it sounds like it affected your entire little life like your entire existence was completely changed by this it was my childhood basically he snatched it away that's what he did my childhood was just snatched away and I had no choice but to live with what I was facing because I couldn't even tell anyone I couldn't even trust anyone with what I'd experienced because I was afraid. So you held on to that inside yourself. You never told anyone for a very long time, right? It was just you and he who knew? Yes. Did you continue to have to see him? Yes, yes. Oh, 
I remember the first time he came back after the after the rape incident, and I saw him through the window, right? And he was walking in, and I was so confused because he was confident, and mm-hmm. here I was, all afraid of what had just taken place prior. And for him to walk like nothing was happening, I was confused. And that assured me that I was the one yeah. who was in the room. Yeah. And my heart started beating very fast. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. It was, it was an experience I would never wish on anyone. It's horrible because, you know, the very act of him getting away with it and knowing that he did emboldens him and further makes you think it was your fault. It's just, it cuts so many different ways. Yes, it does. It does. Did the adults around you, do you, I don't know you were really little when this happened, but do you remember, did the, the trusted or the other adults around you, did any of them notice a change in you? I don't think so. Hey, I don't think so. And now that when I look back, Actually, at home, I was emotionally neglected as mm-hmm. well. For as long as I was food in the house, I have clothes on my back. I have everything that I need. I'm fine. And how am I emotionally, physically? Am I fine? Am I sick? Nobody really cared much. Nobody really paid attention to me for as long as my physical needs were met. Then everything was fine. So nobody really, I don't, I don't believe anybody if they did, maybe they didn't really put into consideration. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but yeah. Yeah, I think that culturally around the world that we're getting better as time goes on about understanding that taking care of children's emotional needs and mental health is just as important as their physical health. I think it's the same way in the United States. I know like when I grew up in the 80s and 90s, it was the same way. If you know you have clothes on your back and food on the table, what's your problem? And so they wouldn't necessarily have noticed that there is this change in you emotionally because they weren't in tune with that already. So it, you know, it definitely changed you as a person. It sounds like as you continue to grow up, but unfortunately that's not the last thing that happened to you. Is it? No, it happened again. Um, Okay. So uh, three years down the line after the first incident, I was then moved to stay with my grandmother I went to stay with her because I was starting my school year. So when I was staying with my grandmom, um, I was nine when the second incident happened. The neighborhood where she was staying was very different from the previous one where my grandfather was staying. It was more of a township. Um, so I had no privacy anymore. I was forced to go out and play during the day, kids were all outside playing, and now I had to go out and play with other kids, which was very difficult for me because now here I am. I need to relate to, to these girls who have not experienced what I've experienced before. And that was one of the difficult things for me. During that time, there was a lot of gangsterism happening in the neighborhood. I remember teen boys who started smoking drugs, stealing cars. Mm-hmm. There was just so much happening all at once. And there was this gang that was very popular in our neighborhood. Everybody knew them. People were scared of them. You know, they were the type that would go to prison. And then a month later, you see them walking around the street again, you know. And 
they were the ones who took advantage of me the second time around. So what happened is I was nine years old. I was walking back home from playing with my friends. And one of the guys called me to go buy him some cigarettes in one of the nearby tech shop, tuck shops. I went to buy him cigarettes, came back to give him the cigarettes and then found out that he was not where I had left him before. So I assumed that he was inside his house. Okay, no problem. I go into his house, I knock on the door, they open and then there's three of them inside. There's music, loud music blasting, smoke, alcohol, smelling everywhere. So I gave him the cigarettes. He asked me to step inside instead. Okay, I decided to take a few steps in because it was just, the environment was just too much. I didn't wanna go inside. He stood up from the couch. He came straight to me, closed the door behind me and locked it and asked for a cigarette. Okay, no problem. I gave him the cigarette. I was not thinking too much. I was thinking that I need to go home, take a bath, do my homework, school tomorrow. That's what was Wait, on my you mind. You were nine years old. So of course, you know. <laughs> and then after taking the cigarettes, I'm standing there and the other guy, there was three of them. The other guy tells me to take off my clothes. And I'm thinking, why should I take off my clothes? Immediately my body froze because I knew what was about to happen. I've been here before, I've experienced this before. I don't know what happened. Honestly, I don't know what happened, but I just remember fighting my, they were, they were, they were, they, they were holding my feet in my hand. I was fighting my way. I don't know how they took me or carried me from the door to the bed. At that part, I don't remember. But what I saw was myself just shaking them off. And one of the guys had a knife with him. So he mistakenly cut my vagina by mistake, trying to calm me down. And today I still have a scar. And that's when I decided that, you know what, let me stop fighting because I might get myself killed. And then... They decided to take advantage of me, three of them. When we're done, I was told that if I tell anyone, they will kill me and I will disappear. My parents will not find my body. So I need And of course you believe them because you see them getting in trouble, but then they're back on the street the next day. So right. (laughs) I went back home and had some very severe physical effects on me because I ended up not being able to control the bladder. I started peeing on myself. Um, I remember kids in the neighborhood and also at school stopped playing with me because I was a kid that would just randomly pee on herself and they said they didn't want to play with me because I think I stunk of pee. And my grandmom also at the time, instead of sitting me down and asking why the sudden changes, she would just beat the living hell out of me. Stop peeing on yourself. Whenever I would pee on myself, she would just beat me up. And I would try to explain to her that I cannot control it, but she would not understand because now I couldn't trust anyone. I couldn't trust her. I couldn't trust strangers. Keep the school making fun of me. Teachers as well, like there were certain teachers that just didn't want me in their classes because I would just pee on myself randomly. 
and they would call my grand to come to school and fetch me in. She would even beat me up in front of the school kids <laughs> in the name of, you know, teaching me a lesson so that I stop doing what I'm doing, you know? And uh, that made things worse for me. It made my entire childhood even worse than before. I started isolating myself again, stopped playing with other kids. Sometimes I even bunk school because being at school was just, it was just too much. It was too much for me. And was there, did you have anyone, was there any person at all in your life who showed you any type of care whatsoever? None. (laughs) And those were the times when I would wish that my mom was present in my life. She would even go for years without coming to see me. She would have came during those, you know, those days. I believe I would have spoken to her. Mm -hmm. I believe I would have trusted her enough her what was happening so again this happens again and your whole life has been altered again because of this so what did those next years look like as you as a nine-year-old you know heading into your teenage years those are hard enough years for a young girl woman anyway and you have this added extreme trauma so what did that look like for you those years everything changed Uh, my self-esteem was oh, was broken. I, I, I was disgusted by myself. I was afraid of men and started reading a lot, you know, focusing on my schoolwork. And the more I did that, the more my school marks also improved. Mm. And then people started paying attention to me, you know, whenever I'd come home with, with an A report, everybody was just so happy for me, you know. I got the love that I've always wanted to get. Teachers started paying attention to me. I started focusing on my school, like reading all the time, doing homework. And I think I used that as my coping mechanism. I am being a teacher's pet. And it went on for years. I went to university to study accounting. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, if I knew that I had to be an A student to be loved at home, I would have done this long, long ago. When I got to university, however, that everything changed. Nobody prepared me for what I was about to face, being independent, meeting people from every background, from everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And here I was. I was a big fish in a small pond, and now I feel threatened. Mm-hmm. I, I feel pressure. There are other people out there who are better than me, and that hit me. So, like, because, like, throwing your, yourself into your schoolwork kind of was your salvation. It was your coping mechanism, and you got so much positive reinforcement from it. It kind of became your whole world, it sounds like. And then you go to another place where it's not that way anymore, and it sounds like a lot of those old insecurities came back just rushing into your life. Yes, that's exactly what happened. My academic life started you know, falling back and, and I had to face it, whether I liked it, whether I was ready or not. And because I did not understand what was happening with me, I ended up indulging in unhealthy coping mechanisms. I started drinking, partying excessive sex smoking i even ended up doing drugs because i started attracting that kind of people 
And the more I did those things, it just got worse. Turning point came when second semester and I just came back from a party. I'm hungover. I get into my apartment. I find a letter at the door. I'm convicted because I drank all my rent money. Oh my word. I was not doing what I was supposed to do with my schoolwork. And here I was sitting with an eviction letter and a report that said um, I need to rewrite all my subjects so that I can be admitted again to that same course. And I don't know how many hours I sat on the floor thinking, what happened? Mm-hmm. This is not, this is not me. <laughs> this is not me. And I sat there for hours crying my heart out, hoping something would change, praying. And then I stood up, I looked myself in the mirror and I told myself that something has to change. I left varsity and I went to stay with my mom. Of course, my mom was disappointed at me. And that was when I decided that something was to change. I need to understand what's happening with me. The triggers, the smell of cigarettes used to trigger me so much. It felt like I could not control my life and it was just making me go crazy. And when I was at my mom's, it was when I started searching. So I started joining Facebook groups of that have gone through the similar experiences as me. And just hearing their stories, what they wrote, I realized, oh, well, I'm not the only person who is going through this, right? I started by writing pieces, bits and pieces of poetry, just to try and explain what I was going through physically, emotionally, spiritually as well, what I was experiencing, what I was thinking, what I was feeling. So is it fair to say that so this is the first time you made that connection, that link between the trauma and those destructive behaviors that you had been exhibiting for that period of time that you, was that when you first realized, oh, there's a connection here? Yes, that was the first time I realized. And it sounds like that was the turning point, just making that connection first. And then from there, starting with poetry was kind of the beginning of your path to healing. Yes. And then as time went on, when I opened myself up to healing, I also started attracting people into my life. And I met her at an event that I was attending. And she was an MC at the event. And she shared her story with the audience. And I was like, oh, wow. She was also a survivor of sexual abuse. And I was like, oh, wow. After the event, I'm just going to be brave, speak to her, and see where the condition takes us. And when I spoke to her, she was like, oh, wow, you know what? I'm also an author. I've written these books, this, 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 this. I can actually help you. I don't mind helping you with your healing journey. And we started talking. She was the very first person I ever told about what had happened to me. She gave me a platform to express how I was feeling. She listened to me without any judgment because I was afraid that she would judge me or also point fingers that I was the one who put this on myself because that's how I I had been feeling my whole entire life and she just listened to me without saying anything and then when I was done telling her my story the only thing she did 
was just to hug me and that was it. And then from there on, that was when my healing journey started. She became my developmental coach. I moved in with her as well. She asked me to move in with her so that we can do this healing face to face. That was when my healing, my healing journey initially started. And one of the first things she made me become aware of was that in order for me to heal, I need to understand that it's not about what happened to me, but it's about how I perceive what happened to me. It's about how I see or react, rather, what happened to me. And that was a aha moment <laughs> for me, you know. I have a choice to either take that experience and let it be my detrimental in life or take it and use it to become a better version of myself. So I had a choice. So which choice am I taking, right? And that was an eye-opening for me. It made also the healing journey so much easier because now I could understand that it's how I choose to react to the situation. So we started with a lot of things. She taught me affirmations. Oh, and she taught me something that was very, very important, which changed my life completely, which was to create an environment that was going to allow me to thrive in my, or during my healing journey. And by that, she meant that we were at whichever space I'm in, I need to make it, in, to design it in a way that it will help me towards my healing whether it be the color of the room, you know, or paintings that I'm putting in the room or the music that I listen to, the videos that I watch to be very observant of the things that I consume on a daily basis because mm. those are the things that are going to hinder me or make me excel with my healing journey. Mm. And that was the first step and it was... Man, like, where have you been my whole life? Sure. I think no one really thinks about that, about how much you really do internalize the things that you're seeing and hearing every day because we're just so used to the constant noise and background and the videos and social media and what an effect it really does have on your mental health. Yes. And since then, I've been very, very careful of the type of content that I consume. Consume can also trigger me there are certain things that especially on social media you know people uh, talk about everything and anything yeah there are certain posts that I find triggering and if that is the case I I delete or block the person then we went into the second thing which she called uh, level two which was then working on my confidence the Mm -hmm. first thing she did was she booked a photo shoot and Mm -hmm. I didn't know it and I see people are coming in with cameras and she's just like, okay, girl, go dress up. Time for a photo shoot. Oh, okay. Wow. And then we did the photo shoot, which was unannounced. They took pictures. I had to dress up and pose. And mm. then it was done, right? After that, we started working on my confidence. She taught me how my physical appearance as well is very, very important. My structure, my body structure is very important. The way I carry myself says a lot about what I'm feeling internally. Mm. If I change what's happening and if I find that I'm difficult to change what's happening on the inside, I can change it via my body, the way that I'm sitting. So if I'm slouched, I'll just be there the whole day. Mm-hmm. But if I decide to sit up, 
whether I see myself, view myself, changes. We did certain exercises for a week. This works, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> and, then, and then on the second photo shoot, we took pictures. Now I had this knowledge, so I was very much aware of my of my body, my my clothing as well, how I was smiling, how I was standing. I was very much aware of myself. She then took the pictures from the first photo shoot and the second photo shoot. Made me analyze them. I learned a lot from her. And she sounds like an absolutely amazing person. She is. <laughs> she is. The last thing that she helped me with was, of course, my, my book. And she helped me with editing my book as well. She opened my mind. She helped me be, you know, learn to articulate my story in a way that it benefits the other person who's listening or who's reading my books. So, yes, that was my turning point. <laughs> I mean, that's so beautiful. And it sounds like, you know, she was the adult that you needed when you were a child. And, you know, unfortunately, no, not out of a lack of love or anything, but none of the adults in your life were able to do that for you. Um, do you have any advice for adults, you know, have children in their lives, things that they, you know, can look out for in terms of preventive efforts, but also what to do for a child who has been abused? Okay, for any parent, for any friend of a survivor, I'll advise that they must be very attentive, especially to children. Children are very expressive, make them feel safe, provide a safe space for a child to be able to open up. And also compassion and love, that plays a very crucial part because as survivors, we tend to judge ourselves a lot Mm -hmm. so is there anything else that you can think of that you want to say that would be helpful for survivors of child sexual abuse the professionals who work with them or the loved ones healing is possible healing and forgiveness is very much possible and it starts with you being ready to heal being ready to forgive because even if I come if you are not ready within and I tell you that healing is possible you can do this you can do that if you're not ready it's going to be a waste of time so everything starts with you first healing starts with you and healing starts on the mind as well healing is a journey and by journey I mean there are ups and there are downs and but just because you face your down part of the healing does not mean that you need to give up you need to stand up and try again so just know that I've done it and if I can do it anyone else can do it that's really beautiful thank you I think that's such an important thing for people to hear they're not alone and that healing is possible and even in those darkest days that you know there is a way to the other side okay so we always end the podcast with three questions the same questions first what does courage mean to you Courage to me means doing what needs to be done, doing it when you are doubting yourself, (laughs) doing it when you don't feel like doing it. But for me, that is what courage is. I love that. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received? (laughs) In this advice, I got it from Beatrice. Uh, sorry for my language, but she used to tell me on my on my on my dark days, she'd be like, you know what, Ayanda, shit happens. Yep. But it is how you decide to see it. 
And that was the best advice I ever, I ever received. Shit happens to every, all of us, whether you are the queen or the president of the world, shit happens to everybody, but it's just a manner of how you choose to look at it. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and then lastly, what is one question that you wish more people would ask you? Oh, wow. Wow. Um, how to build resilience after experiencing childhood sexual abuse. Well, you certainly know the answer to that. I mean, we're so grateful that you came on today, you know, transforming from victim to survivor to activist is such a noble and compelling journey and definitely one fraught with difficulties. And as we always say, the path to healing is not linear. It's kind of you know, sometimes four steps back, two steps forward. So thank you for sharing that journey with us and for all of the help that you give to survivors every day in your life. I wish you nothing but the best. And we thank you so sincerely for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everybody that's listening. I hope you guys were able to grab a thing I think that they will. And as always to the listeners, thank you for listening. Some of the questions or requests for guests at supportforsurvivors.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.